Hello, and welcome to the RCC Weekly Sermon Podcast. I hope you enjoy today's message. If you were in person with us last week at Kiwanis, we're actually going to be looking at the same story this morning. So for those of you who already heard this message in person last week, uh, you can go back here on our YouTube page and watch Pastor Kenny's online service from last week. It's titled, Wait, Trust in the Lord, and you can find it on the YouTube page. But for the rest of you, this morning we're going to read a cool little story that is also a weird little story, and we're going to have a lot of questions, but I believe that God has something for us in this passage, even in the midst of all the questions that it might raise for you. And so if you have your Bibles or your Bible app, you can open to Genesis chapter 32. The primary character in our story today is a man named Jacob. For those of you who might be unfamiliar with Jacob, you might remember a few weeks ago, uh, we talked about a man named Abraham, often referred to as the father of the faith. Jacob is Abraham's grandson. So Abraham, as you remember, was promised by God that he would be the father of a great nation with more descendants than could be counted and a foreign land that would one day belong to his people. After a long journey filled with faith and doubt, Abraham and his elderly, barren wife, Sarah, end up having a son named Isaac. And Isaac eventually has twins. When Isaac has twins, the first twin comes out very hairy. The Bible actually says that he's covered in hair. This is just a reminder that all parents think that their kid is cute. So I'm sure that they thought Esau was cute, but he comes out uh, covered in hair. And they name him Esau, which means hairy, so quite literal. The second twin comes out behind his hairy brother, grasping his brother's heel, holding on to his brother's heel. And so they name him Jacob, which means he grasps the heel. So these are people that very much like literal baby names. If anyone's looking for a baby name, Jacob and Esau are good ones to choose for the hairy and he grasps the heel reason. But the first thing that we learn about here, both in how he comes out and what he is named, actually ends up telling us a lot about who Jacob will be. At birth, it says that he comes out grabbing a hold of the heel of his brother Esau. And so they name him Jacob, meaning he takes by the heel. To grasp someone by the heel in this culture was a figure of speech, meaning to deceive. It literally means to take something that doesn't belong to you. This ends up being a very significant foreshadowing for Jacob's life. If you were to go on and read uh, in Genesis chapter 25 and the subsequent chapters, Jacob is somebody who will get ahead and get what he wants by cheating and deceiving. It literally means, his name literally means to take what belongs to someone else. And Jacob's life will live up to his namesake. In Genesis chapter 25, we see that he exploits his brother in a moment of weakness and he gets his birthright or inheritance. And then in chapter 27, Jacob deceives his father in order to steal the firstborn blessing that should have gone to Esau. Jacob is conniving and determined and knows how to get what he wants for himself, no matter who it hurts or what it costs. And so while the firstborn son was typically the one through through whom the family line would continue, in the case of Esau and Jacob, Jacob receives both Esau's blessing and his inheritance. 
And so, because he's received those things, despite how unfair it seems, Jacob will end up being the one, being the son, through through who the promised line of Abraham will continue. This seems like an unlikely choice. It certainly feels like an unfair choice. Doesn't seem fair to me at all that Jacob could connive and deceive his way into becoming the one through whom the promise would come. And yet, this is where we are. So I want to fast forward our story for today, a few chapters. Jacob has left the promised land to go and find a wife, and a whole soap opera could be written about the drama that happens on that journey. But when we arrive at our story for today in chapter 32, Jacob is headed back to the promised land, and he's coming back with all that he's required, acquired from his time away, including his wives, um, the other mothers of his children who were servants, Uh, and all of his children, including his 11 sons. And if you'll recall, before Jacob went away, as we said, he exploited Esau to get his inheritance, and he deceived his father to seal Esau's blessing. And so, if you were Esau, how might you feel about Jacob? Understandably, the last time that they were together, Esau wanted to kill Jacob for all of his deception and all of the ways that he had betrayed him as a brother. And so as Jacob is returning to the land now with all he possesses, in anticipation of how his brother might respond to his return, he sends his family across the river and he stays behind and we find him alone. On this night, on the eve of going and meeting your brother, who the last time you saw him, he wanted to kill you, how might you feel if you were Jacob? I would imagine that he's likely anxious, afraid, maybe paranoid. Knowing Jacob, he's he's maybe trying to rehearse a plan of how to convince Esau not to be mad at him and not to kill him. He knows that when daybreak comes, he's got to go and meet his fate and likely suffer the consequences of all of his deception and betrayal. This is where we find ourselves. This is where we find Jacob in our weird little story in Genesis chapter 32, as he's alone awaiting the morning when he will go and meet his brother Esau again. Let's look at Genesis chapter 32, verse 24. It says, Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he could not defeat him, he struck Jacob's hip socket as they wrestled and dislocated his hip. Then he said to Jacob, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Let's pause right here. It's already a weird story, so let's just talk about what do we know so far. What we know so far in this story is that there is a man that shows up, and Jacob and him wrestle all night long. We also know that in the course of this wrestle, the man dislocates Jacob's hip. The man asks Jacob to let him go because daybreak is coming. And Jacob is determined to not let go until he gets a blessing from the man. There is something about this man that Jacob believes is superior than him because an inferior person would request a blessing from a superior person. And so there is something in this dynamic where Jacob is aware that this person is someone from whom he wants a blessing. But we've also got some questions at this point as a reader, right? A man shows up to wrestle with Jacob. Who is this man? Where did he come from? He seems to appear out of nowhere. Uh, Where did he come from and why does he want to wrestle Jacob? 
Also, the man couldn't defeat him. I wonder why not. Why did the man need to be let go at daybreak? Was he a vampire? And when the sun came up, he was going to disintegrate. And why does Jacob want to receive a blessing from him? There's a bunch of things that we still don't quite understand about this story. But let's continue reading on and see what we can make sense of it. Let's look at verse 27. It says, what is your name? The man asked. Jacob, he replied. Your name will no longer be Jacob, he said. It will be Israel because you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he answered, why do you ask my name? And he blessed him there. Let's pause again. So the man asks Jacob what his name is, and then he renames him Israel. The name Israel means the one who wrestles with God and men. And so we find this man, Jacob, the one who takes by the heel, once named as a deceiver or takes what belongs to someone else, is now renamed as the one who wrestled with God and survived. The man still won't tell Jacob his name, but in the end, Jacob does get his blessing. And Jacob ends up knowing who it was that he had wrestled with. Let's look at verse 30. Jacob then named the place Peniel, for I have seen the face of God face to face. And yet my life has been spared. The sun shone on him as he passed by Penuel, limping because of his hip. Okay, this story is weird. Let's just admit it. Let's just get it out of the way. It's a weird story. There's a lot that isn't clear. There's a lot that we don't know. But what we do know is that Jacob, who hasn't been a great character thus far, who's made some terrible choices, who doesn't have some character traits that we really want to follow, this Jacob is met by God during what was likely one of the most anxiety-ridden and fearful nights of his life. And Jacob, determined Jacob, determined as he always has been, who previously had wrestled with men and won, He's now met his match in wrestling all night with God. He applies that same determination that he once used to exploit and deceive to relentlessly pursue the blessing of God in this night. And how does God respond to Jacob? Well, he responds by blessing him. In the middle of the wrestling, in the middle of the darkness of the night, God meets Jacob He gets up close enough to wrestle with him, and ultimately, he blesses him. Now, there are a lot of things in this passage that we could spend time unpacking and focus on today. But this morning, I want to make really one simple point for our time together. And it has to do with the series that we are in as a church. Our current teaching series is called Wait, Faithfulness in the In-Between. And we've been looking at what it looks like for us to wait faithfully for God to do what he says he will do. And also looking at what does it look like to trust that God is being faithful as we wait, even if we can't see or understand what it is that he's doing. Sometimes waiting feels like slow moving progress, right? We're moving towards something. We're moving forward towards somewhere that God is leading us, but it feels slower than we would like, and it requires patience and faith. 
Sometimes waiting can feel like bewilderment and confusion. It feels foggy. We can't understand where God is or what he's doing. We can't quite make sense of what he's up to. And we can feel a little bit lost. Sometimes waiting can even feel like silence. Like we're the only ones participating in a one-side conversation. And it feels like God has gone quiet on us. But sometimes... Waiting can feel like a wrestling match. We're wrestling and writhing and throwing a fit and processing all of our emotions. And sometimes it can feel like God is distant or unmoved or quiet. But we know that our God is the God who engages with us as we wrestle with him. He is engaged with us in the struggle. He's the kind of God who allows us to come close and grab a hold of him and tumble around with him as we contend with him in the middle of the night. Think about how close you have to get to someone in order to wrestle with them. Right up in each other's business. So close you can feel and smell and taste the sweat. This is how close God invites us to come to him and wrestle it out with him. The biggest question I'm left when I think about this is what kind of a God allows mere humans to do that with him? What kind of a God allows broken and fallen and mistake ridden and and, and limited vision to come up that close and wrestle it out with him? Sometimes I wrongly assume that my task as a human is just to submit to God no matter what my feelings are, no matter what the circumstances are, no matter what I don't understand or what I'm frustrated about. My anger with God is my problem and I need to figure it out and let it go. My disappointment with God is my problem and I probably just need to get over it. But our God and the God of Abraham and Isaac And Jacob is the God who allows us, who invites us, dare I say, beckons us to come closer as we wrestle so he can be in the wrestle with us. He's the God who doesn't turn us away when we don't understand or when we can't comprehend why he is or isn't acting like we think that he should or doing what we think he should do. But instead, he's the God who is close enough to wrestle with us to hold us as we writhe and scream and maybe even cry and unload our anger on him. He's not afraid of it, and he doesn't turn away from it. Here's what I want us to hear this morning. Wrestling with God is not a sign of rejection. It is an invitation to intimacy. Ours is not the God who pushes you away and tells you to deal with your emotions on your own. He's not the kind of God who gets mad at you that you're mad at him. He's the father who gets in it with you, who pulls you close close, and lets you wrestle it out right there with him. When we're frustrated, confused, in pain, we're often tempted to just walk away or we feel like we're left alone in our wrestling and we're on our own to figure it out. Maybe we can feel like God is waiting for us to figure it out on our, on our own, to work it out on our own, and then come out of our rooms when we're done pouting. But what we see in this story is very interesting. 
The very determination that enabled Jacob to be conniving and deceitful is now applied to his wrestling with God. He says he won't let go until God blesses him. I won't quit until you bless me. And in the end, God does. God relents and he gives Jacob the blessing. He renames him and he gives him a fresh start and he blesses him. But God blesses Jacob not because of who Jacob is or because Jacob has a great track record. God blesses Jacob because of who God is. Our God is the God who wants to bless us who wants to come up close and show himself to us and give us a fresh start and a new name and bring us into his blessing. Not because of who we are, but because of who he is. But as we see, Jacob doesn't just leave the fight with a blessing. He also leaves with a limp. Jacob has a physical reminder for the rest of his days that he wrestled with God. He leaves his wrestling with God with both a blessing and a limp. Sometimes the limp, the scar, the wound that we leave a season of wrestling God with can be the blessing itself. When I think about the times in my life where I have really wrestled with God, not the times where I just walked away and did what I wanted to do because I was rebelling and I didn't care. I'm talking about the times when I really wrestled with God And I was like, I'm not going to let go until you show me what you're doing. Until you show me that you're in this with me. I'm not going to let go. In those times when I have really wrestled with God, where the pain and the bewilderment has been so intense that I can't clean it up or stuff it down, but I just grab hold of him and wrestle all my feelings out. Those have been some of the most formative times in my life with God. Before we wrap up, I briefly just want to mention one of those times. In 2012, many of you know that my dad had begun having some strange symptoms, and we'd later find out that he had ALS, which is a terrible disease, and his body slowly just shut down and deteriorated over three years. It was a really disorienting time for him, for sure, um, but also for myself. I had a lot of questions in this time, questions about how prayer works and what it's for and how healing works and if it happens and how God works and why it seems like sometimes he doesn't. I had a lot of questions, a lot more questions than answers. I also had a lot of opportunities to watch God work out goodness and beauty in the midst of tragedy and suffering. I wrestled with God a lot during those years. I have wounds from that time of wrestling with him that have stayed with me. They've formed me. They've humbled me, and in a lot of ways, I walk with a limp from that season. But my limp has been a blessing. It serves as a reminder of that season where I wrestled with God, and he engaged with me and wrestled back. My limp is a reminder that I am safe to wrestle with God because he's there with me. When something touches that tender spot, of my wound, I remember what God did and how he was with me and how he didn't explain it all to me, but he came close like a good father and held me and let me writhe and cry and scream at him and he could handle it. I can also look back and see that God didn't let the fight end without blessing me. Through what was one of the worst, most difficult and painful times in my life, he changed me. In many ways, there is a pre 
wrestle me from that time and a post-wrestle me. I'm changed both because of the hardship I had to faith and the way that God met me in the middle of it and showed me that he was safe and could handle all of my feelings. The limp became a blessing as it became a bridge from my pain to someone else's, being able to say, I know I've been there and really mean it. It became a scar reminding me that was what was once an open wound is in fact healing because it's being tended to by the healer himself. And so waiting can be a wrestle, but wrestling with God is not a sign of rejection. It is an invitation to intimacy, an invitation to come up close to God, to our good father and find ourselves safe and seen with all of our feelings, with all of our questions, with all of our doubt, with all of our pain, knowing that he can handle it all. So as we leave this time together here online today, I just want to remind all of us, myself included, that we don't need to clean ourselves up before we come to God. We can come to him from right where we are in the middle of the wrestle, in the middle of the wondering and the waiting, and we can tell him how we really feel, and we can trust that he is a safe and good father who won't reject us, but rather is inviting us in closer to see his faithfulness in the waiting as we wait for the morning. So let me pray for us. God, we thank you that you are a good father and that you are a trustworthy and faithful God. I pray for my brothers and sisters who are in the middle of waiting for you to come through or for you to show up or for you to give them wisdom or direction, whatever they find themselves waiting for today. I ask that you would turn this wrestle into an opportunity for intimacy with you, that they would discover that you are closer than they ever imagined, more passionate than they could ever expect, and already at work for their good in ways they can't see. As we wait, Father, we put our trust in you. We believe, and we also ask that you would help our unbelief. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us this morning, and we hope to see you next Sunday in person at Eshelman Elementary School at 10 a.m. as we celebrate 10 years as a church family. Until then, have a great week. Thank you for listening to the RCC Weekly Sermon Podcast. Thank you for listening.